Praise the Lord. Father God, we thank you so much for the opportunity and the privilege to worship you and to exalt the holy name of Jesus. And we just thank you, Father, for the mercies that you grant us daily, the bountiful blessings. We thank you, Father, for your grace in our lives. I pray this morning, Lord, that you would let the word of God go forth into our hearts. Touch us in a special way. We'll give you glory. We'll give you honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. I want to speak to you for a few minutes. What God wants to restore to us. Last week I preached on God wants his family back. Amen. I want to talk to you about Job for a little bit. I preached about Job. But I feel like he's a great example of restoration. Job lived 70 years before his great trial. But he lived 140 years after the trial. He died at 210 years old. One of the most marvelous verses you could read about Job or about anyone is in Job chapter 42, verse 17. So Job died being old and full of days. In the message version, it says this. Then he died, an old man, a full life. What does that mean? Praise the Lord. Then he died, an old man, a full of life. When you look up the translation, in the end, Job was satiated, which means it was so filled up and so satisfied about the life that he had lived. I remember my dad on his deathbed looked at me and said, Freddie, I've had a good life. It wasn't without trial and tribulation for my parents. It wasn't without deep sorrow and pain. And it was the same for Job. He said, I've had a full life, but you know the pain, the loss. A full life meant God gave him a surplus, a glut, a flood. God supplied him with an oversupply and an overabundance. A plethora, if you would. Job was content. How many people are content? He was pleased and fulfilled for what God gave him. How many people have gratitude today? So many people are just what they don't have. 
instead of looking what they do have. The prophecy of Jesus in Isaiah chapter 53, it said, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he had borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we, deem, we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. If there was one person that understood the pain of Job, it was Jesus. If there was one person who understood the trial and tribulation of Job, it was Jesus. Here's what Job said. It's almost akin to what Jesus was prophesied concerning Isaiah 53. He said in Job 16 and 16, My face is foul with weeping, and on my eyelids is the shadow of death. What does that mean? If you look at the word foul, it means I'm troubled. I'm in turmoil. My face is red. I have been dabbed with trial and tribulation. It's like pitch. I have been covered with it and it smears me all over. And he says, my face is foul with weeping. He bewailed, he cried. He was in anguish. His eyelids, it says, was in the shadow of death. Deep darkness, deep distress, extreme danger, the shadow of death. This is what he experienced. In Job chapter 1 and verse 1, there was a man in the land of Oz whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright. And one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, and 500 yoke of oxen, 500 she-asses, and a very great household. So that this man was the greatest of all men of the, of the east. And his sons went and feasted in their houses every one his day. And sent and called for their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And it was so, when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them, and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence cometh thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man? One that feareth God and escheweth evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath. And he will curse thee to thy face. 
And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. God knew full well what was happening and what was going to happen in the life of Job. God knows full well what's happening in your life. And he knows full well what's going to happen in your life in the future. Because he sees it from beginning to end. What happened? What happened to a man that was the greatest in the earth? The richest? The righteous? A man of integrity and uprightness. The Bible says in Job 1.13, And there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their elder brother's house. And there came a messenger unto Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain thy servants with the edge of the sword. And only I am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God has fallen from heaven and has burnt up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I am only the one that has escaped to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels, and I have carried them away. And yea, the slain servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. In Job chapter 1 verse 18, while he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their elder brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind. From the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house and it fell upon the young men and they are dead and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. In a moment of a twinkling of an eye a father a man of God and his wife lost all of their wealth lost their home lost their cattle, and lost ten children in the moment of a twinkling of an eye. My. No wonder he said in Job 16 and 16, my face is foul with weeping and my eyelids is the shadow of death. Can a man recover? Can a man be restored? Can a man feel God once again? It wasn't the end. In Job chapter 2 and verse 1, and there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves. You see, Satan was not happy with destroying his flock, destroying his wealth, destroying his homes, destroying his children. He wasn't happy because he seeks to devour. He's a stalker. He wants to take everything from you. Your dignity, your integrity, your home, your finances, your children. He wants it all. The sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. These are demonic spirits and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said unto Satan, from whence cometh thou? 
And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Has thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? And still he holdeth first, firm, fast, his integrity. Although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. Job didn't do anything wrong. Job didn't sin. But God allowed the affliction. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. <laughs> but put forth thine hand now, and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he's in thy hand, but save his life. So when Satan forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. And he took him a pot chair to scrape himself with all. And he sat down among the ashes. Then he said, then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. I want to take a moment to talk about a mother and a wife. I want to talk to you for a moment about Job's wife. Through the years, she has gotten bad press. And I think she has received bad press because God showed me a revelation. She said to Job, look all that's happened. We've lost our children. We've lost our wealth. We've lost our house. We've lost our servants. And you're sitting on a pile of rocks, taking a sharp edge from a stone and trying to get relief from boils. God dropped something in my lap. She said to her husband, curse God and die. I was flabbergasted when I looked up the Hebrew word for curse. Do you know what it means? It means to bless, just the opposite. It means to adore. And it means to congratulate. What is Job's wife saying to him? She said, curse God and die. Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Now I know I've never heard it preached this way before. And I've been in this for 47 years. And I believe God was showing me something. She was in so much pain as a woman. She was in so much pain as a wife. And I'm going to say something that sounds astounding. And the love that she had for her husband. 
And she knew he was a man of integrity. She knew that he was an upright man and faithful to God and would never sin against God. What she was saying was, Job, listen to me. Bless God. Adore him. Congratulate him on the 70 years that you have had. And he's blessed you. And then ask God to take you from this tragic moment. Don't lose your integrity. Don't lose it now. It's better to go on. I, I, I believe God showed me this. Because the word curse in Hebrew means to bless. To bless God. To adore God no matter what happens to us. No matter what we go through. No matter what we experience. And I believe it was this woman's love for her husband. I've never preached it that way before. But she didn't want to see him in pain any longer. Women bear pain. And I'm just saying this out of opinion. I believe women bear pain greater than men because of childbearing. I believe women understand pain in such a deep, intimate way. I, I believe they understand the distress and the anguish of birthing a child into the world that men have never experienced. And I believe what she was saying. And Job turned around to her and said, you're speaking as a foolish woman. And, and that would mean as unspiritual. But was she? She cared, I believe, for her husband. I never saw it this way. She had such a deep, deep feeling for his pain. Imagine seeing your husband on a rock pile full of boils from the top of his head to the soles of his feet and trying to cut those boils open to relieve pain. She witnessed this, but she also witnessed the death of her children. And when you take a child away from a mother, you've taken away the heart of a woman. She experienced everything Job felt. She wasn't an isolated person. She experienced the same loss that her husband. I won't go into the misunderstanding by his friends from Job chapter 4 to Job chapter 11. It seems like everybody has the answer for you. Yeah, come on, come on. <laughs> so many people are so quick to speak. <laughs> and so lack of prayer or wisdom. They just say things because it sounds spiritual. And Job had those people come into his life. Verbal vomit. Carnality. Man's opinions not based on the power of the Holy Spirit. God wants to restore. Can God do such a thing in the life of a man that has, has experienced so much loss? Psalm 51, 11 says, Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy 
free spirit. David. Jeremiah 30 and 17 says, For I will restore health unto thee. Hold on to that. And I will heal thee of thy wounds, saith the Lord, because they, they, they call thee an outcast, saying, This is Zion where no man seeketh after. God wants to heal us. God wants to restore to us what the enemy has stolen from us. God wants back his family, his territory. Job chapter 2 verse 21 says this, Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice. This is chapter 2, Joel, excuse me, 221. For the Lord will do great things. Be not afraid, you beasts of the field. For the pastures of the wilderness do spring, for the tree beareth her fruit. The fig tree and the vine do yield their strength. Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God. For he has given you, listen to this, the former rain moderately, and he will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. That's a combination of the former rain and the latter rain. And God says, I'm going to pour it on you if you want it. I'll send you a flood, spiritually. I'll send you a glut, an overabundance, an oversurplus, an oversupply. I'll satiate you. I'll satisfy you. This is God. This is God. This is not man. I can't do nothing for you. This is God. And he says, and the floors shall be full of wheat and the fats shall overflow with wine and oil and I will restore you to the years that the locust has eaten. The canker worm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm, my great army which I sent among you. And you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God that has dealt wonderfully, wondrously with you. And my people shall never be ashamed. And you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and none else and my people shall never be ashamed. What's God saying? What the enemy has taken from you. What the enemy has stolen. (laughs) What the locust has eaten. What the canker worm has destroyed. What the caterpillar has absolved and taken up and the palm worm. It's an increment of loss. And we've all had that kind of loss. And God says, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to send the former rain, and I'm going to send the latter rain. And I'm going to pour out on you. And everything the enemy has done against you, I'm going to make it right with you. I'm going to make it right with you. You know, we look back on our lives sometimes and there's been great devastation at times for all of us. There's been great distress. Our eyelids were in the shadow of death. You know that. The anguish, the weeping. The weeping of a mother. The weeping of a father. The weeping of a child. We've all experienced that. Even children have experienced that kind of anguish. As maybe, maybe they've had to bury a parent or a grandparent. Someone they loved and they were close to. Oh, it's so important to love the people while they're alive and around you. It's so important to enjoy the moment. It's so important to have gratitude. It's so important to love. And not just use it as a word. But to love. 
and to care. I just experienced the 31st anniversary of my nephew's decease. Brought back a lot of emotion. Brought back a family that was wailing and crying and weeping, and I don't believe we ever recovered. Brought back pictures of my dad, his grandfather, in the home of my brother, pacing the floors in the middle of the night and crying. Why not me, God? Why him? I'm an old man. Why not me? So my dad weep and cry. Love while you can. I said, love while you can. No one's guaranteed tomorrow. Love while you can. Enjoy while you can. Whether it's a cup of coffee at your table with someone. Or a thank you. Or a smile. Or holding a door for someone. Or saying excuse me. Or saying thank you. Do it while you can. Job said in Job 42 and 1. He said, Lord, I know that thou canst do everything. And that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hides the counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not. Things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. Here I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will demand of thee and declare unto thee. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye seeth thee. How did God appear? How did Job see God in the midst of destruction and devastation? Because he was a man of integrity. And the word integrity means perfection. It means he was willing to do the right thing. And just to cover himself. Just to make sure he was right. Just like he did for his children. And making sacrifice for them just in case they sinned. He did that continually. Watching out for his kids. (laughs) He said in verse 6 of... Job 42, wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Just in case. God, if I've misunderstood you, if I haven't seen what I was supposed to see, if I haven't heard what I was supposed to hear, I'm sorry. Job didn't sin, he was upright. But he wanted to make sure. Make sure. So God spoke to his friends. Be careful who your friends are. Be careful who you let in your sheepfold. My wife knows me better than anyone except the Lord. And she knows when I lose trust... That's a bad omen in my life. 
when I don't trust someone. She knows I get disturbed. Because if you don't have trust, you don't have anything. Because lack of trust makes you suspicious. And when you become suspicious, you see things that you don't want to see. God spoke to the friends. He said, therefore, take unto you now seven bullets and seven rams and go to my servant Job. Go to him. You have so much to say. And offer up for yourselves a burnt offering. And my servant Job shall pray for you. Hmm. Bunch of big mouths. It's not good to have a big mouth. It's not good to blow air. Go to my servant Job, he'll pray for you. For him I will accept, lest I deal with you after your folly, and that you have not spoken of me the thing which is right, like my servant Job. Oh. <laughs> so Eliphaz the Temanite, and Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Naamite, went and did according as the Lord commanded them. And the Lord also accepted Job. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job right here. Job 42. He turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Now let's stop here for a moment. It's hard to pray for someone that's hurt you. I don't care who you are. It's hard to pray for someone that has taken advantage of you and left you for dead. It's hard to get down in the dust before God and say, God bless them. It's not human nature to do that. It's human nature to say to God, like David said so many times, destroy my enemies. Don't let me be ashamed in front of them. Take them out, God. Even the disciples said, Lord, shall we call fire down from heaven? And Jesus said, easy does it. I can handle it. It's not easy to pray for someone that has hurt you deeply. But here's what I want to talk about for the second part. Job 42 and 11. Then came there unto him all his brethren. Something happened. Something happened in the spirit world. Look at the verse very closely. All his sisters and all that had been of his acquaintance before and did eat bread with him in his house. And they bemoaned him and comforted him over all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. Every man also gave him a piece of money, and every one an earring of gold. So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. For now he had 14,000 sheep, and 6,000 camel, and 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 she-asses. Exactly double. You see, in the beginning he only had 7,000. Now God said, I'm going to give you 14,000. 
He only had 3,000 and God gave him 6,000. He only had 500 and God gave him 1,000. What's happening? It's called encouragement. You see, when Job prayed for his friends, God started the process of restoration. God began the process of healing. And what he did was, he began to summon Job's family. And if you read the book of Job very closely, Job was a generous man. He helped the poor. He helped the neighbor. He put his hand in his pocket. He blessed other people. Read it for yourself. But he lost everything. Lost everything. Except his integrity. And except his personal relationship with God. Here's the most fascinating moment. In verse 13 of Job 42, he had also seven sons and three daughters. Now I want you to think about this because I've done some research. I really can't find where Job had another wife but the one that he had in the beginning. I've, I've seen people speculate that maybe there was some other one. But in the book of Job, the only wife that's mentioned was the one I spoke about in the beginning of the sermon. She had already given birth to ten children that were deceased. Because this is the twist in my mind and in my heart about her. She had a lot of love for Job. She hated to see him go through what he went through. Because she knew what kind of man he was. The Bible said, and he called the name of the first Jemima, and the name of the second Keziah, and the third Karen Hoppock. And in all the land there were no women found so fair as the daughters of Job. And their father gave them inheritance among their brethren. After this, Job lived 140 years and saw his sons and his sons' sons even four generations. So Job died being old and full of days, satiated and satisfied. But that's not the end of the sermon. Because these three girls that were born were given special privilege concerning inheritance. But these three girls that were born, they had names that God gave to them that had such deep spiritual meaning for Job. Listen, Jemima means warm and affectionate. It means daytime after a dark night. It means fair as day, resembling a clear day. It means a dove signifying peace and comfort to show high spirits of excitement. Can you imagine when his wife gave birth to this child, this girl? What a feeling and a sensation must have come over Job to have this baby this daughter, this young life, 
It must have brought those warm feelings to him. It must have looked like daytime after a dark night that he experienced so many chapters before. It brought comfort to him. It brought peace. And it brought an excitement to him. (laughs) I remember my little girls, my little girls, my wife's little girls. As I watched my granddaughters, I remember my girls used to run through the house When we could afford it once in a while, we would say, we're going to go to McDonald's. We're going to go out to eat. And Christina would run after Kimberly and Frederick and say, Dad said, we're going to go out. We're going to go out to eat. And they'd run through the house and so excited. It was contagious. They couldn't contain themselves like a little child waiting for Christmas, looking under the Christmas tree to see if his name is on that present. Is that my name? Yes. Is that for me? Yes. Can I have it now? No. We have to wait. The Bible says in Psalm 29 and 11, the Lord will give grace, great strength unto his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. This is the daughter. Mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Jude 2, Psalm 23 and 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. This little girl was a comfort. Keziah means cassia in Hebrew. One of the oils that was used in the holy anointing oil. It means the bark of a tree is peeled. It means to strip off and segregate. It's an evergreen tree having aromatic bark used as a substitute for cinnamon. It's a fresh smell. It's a breath of fresh air. It's the anointing oil. When this girl was born, it was like God was separating Job once more from distress and his trials. (laughs) To strip off, to segregate. It's not my life anymore. I've been delivered. I've been restored. And this young baby represented the fresh air, the anointing oil of God. (laughs) 1 John chapter 2, 27 says, But the anointing which you have received of him abideth in you. The anointing means something that's been smeared on you. That aroma. Jesus went into the house. The Bible says that the house was filled with the aroma. Filled with the aroma. What's God saying? When this child was born, not only did he receive peace from Jemima, but now he's receiving something more from Keziah. But that wasn't the end. Because the third girl was born, and her name was Karen Hoppock. And that meant a peak of a mountain. It meant a ray of light. It meant the light at the end of the tunnel. It means to paint the face as to wipe away the tears. 
It means a glistening or a shine. It was almost like in increments as these girls were born that God brought Job into a deeper place of peace, a deeper place of satisfaction, a deeper place of intimacy with God. Because God was saying, I'll wipe away those bad memories, Job. I'll wipe away all of those days. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 16, verse 1, Arise and shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. You will shine again, God was saying. He said in Isaiah 25 and 8, He will swallow up death in victory, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all our faces, and the rebuke of His people shall be taken away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. Isaiah 25, 8 in the message version says this, Yes, he'll banish death forever, and God will wipe away the tears from every face. He'll remove every sign of disgrace from his people, wherever they are. Yea, God says so. What's God saying? He wants to bring all of these qualities of these three girls into our lives to bring peace and comfort and soothe us from all that stuff that the enemy has thrown against you to destroy you and your life and whatever you hold dear to yourself. Are you following? There's great meaning here. His daughter's names reminded Job of God's great goodness toward him. In Psalm 27 and 13, it says, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Psalm 31, 9, Oh, how great is thy goodness which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee, which thou hast wrought for them that trust in thee before the sons of men. Psalm 71, 21 says, Thou shalt increase my greatness and comfort me on every side. Job received this comfort. And it was exemplified through God blessing him a hundredfold. And God giving him back ten children. Four generations. Four generations. He was seven years old when that trial happened. But he died at 210 years old. Because God wasn't done with him. You see, one day we'll all come to full age. And hopefully we can all say, as my dad said, I've had a good life. That we can all feel satiated and satisfied. That we can lay upon our beds, if it's God's will, and say, I have no regrets. Because that's another word that my dad gave me. I have no regrets. Imagine. And I know some of the deep turmoil that my father experienced. And my mom. Let me close. Three things that helped Job through his awful trial. Number one was faith. Job 19 and 23. All that my words were now written. All that they were printed in a book. That they were graven with an iron pen and lead in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer liveth. 
and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy his body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. It's astounding how a man could experience so much devastation and make that statement. Yet I will see God. James, in chapter 5 and verse 11, Behold, we count them happy which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Two things James recognizes here in the book of James. Endurance and patience. And let me speak about those for just a few moments. Endurance means to take patiently, but to remain and abide. Not to recede or flee. It means to preserve under misfortunes and trials. To hold fast to one's faith in Christ. To bear bravely and calmly ill treatments. If there's one thing that my mother gave me in my life, I believe, was the gift of perseverance. She endured in her body 35 congestive heart failures, broken hips, broken leg. And every time I was called to the hospital, I thought it was the end. And one day, I went in the emergency room and she was laid out flat. And the female doctor that was there looked at me, who knew me. I've been in that place so many times. Fred, I walked out of that room I walked down the hallway in the emergency room and started bawling. And as I was walking down that hallway, I heard a voice, Freddy! <laughs> I said, I must be hearing something. I walked back in that room and here's my mother sitting up and the female doctor looking at me and saying, and I said, you know what? I'll know when my mom has passed. When I preach her funeral and I lay her in the ground, then I'll know. A lady of great endurance. Great endurance. Great perseverance. And patience. What does that mean? It's the characteristic of a man or a woman who is not swerved from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty to faith and piety by even the greatest trials and sufferings. God grant us that. So many are going to slip away. So many are in slow fate even now. So many are being tossed like a leaf in the wind. So many have lost their favor with God. Endurance 
and patience. And Job said in Job 31 and 6, as I close, let me be weighed in an even balance that God may know my integrity. And that in word, integrity means uprightness, honesty, truthfulness, honor, reliability, and perfection. This is what God wants to restore to the church. Not a political mess. Not a religious exercise. But an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Where Jesus Christ is exalted above everything. Man, buildings, personalities, denominations. Because there'll be none of that in heaven. There's not a corner for this church or that church. It's brothers and sisters in Christ. It's the brotherhood of Jesus. And all we've done is divided. All we've done is separated. All we have done is caused division. And in the last day, God is saying, if you can endure and be patient, I will send the former rain and the latter rain, and I'll bless your socks off that you have no imagination that you can even contrive or think of in your mind of what blessings I want to flood upon you. I want to pour out of my window upon you the blessings of God. Amen. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying God wants our families back. Right. I'm saying it's time to take a stand yes. and drive a stake in the ground. It's time to pray. I said it's time to seek God. And it's time to believe in the most hideous situation or the most difficult problem that God can restore and reverse the situation for his favor by pouring out upon you peace and comfort and the anointing and God wiping away your tears as God restores us in our homes and in our families to see our loved ones and our children and our generations come to Christ. Some people say, are you dreaming? No. None of us here has experienced what Job experienced. But if all we do is go through the stupid motions of religion and play the game and be a bunch of imposters in the sight of God who knows us better than anyone until we come clean with God and take off the masks that we're trying to make people believe who we are. I was sitting in a room just the other day and I was thinking. I said, Lord, can you imagine if everybody in this room really shared their heart, what was truly in their heart and on their minds, instead of being imposters and putting on the face and putting on the mask to help me believe that this is who they really are when I know they're not. We're afraid to be truthful. We're afraid to show feelings. We go around enclosed in a cement wall with barbed wire because we're afraid to feel. And when we're afraid to feel and we don't want to see the situation clearly, 
Man turns to the elements of the world to try to banish the pain and the anguish that only Jesus Christ can relieve a person of. One million children in America under five years old are under psychiatric drugs. One million. You don't even want to know the statistics for people who are on drugs, prescription drugs, for mental illness. It's an abomination. People are dying every day of drug overdoses. And you know what? You think that the friends of someone that died of a drug overdose would change their life. You would think they would change their ways. Hey, Charlie's gone. Hey, Billy's gone. Hey, Danny didn't make it last night. But when's the next party? When are we going to meet again? And people say, hey, marijuana's okay. Stupidity. Foolish and stupid people. Stupid. Look what that does to your lungs for one thing. And look what it does to your brain cells. And don't tell me it's not the gateway to other drugs. Because you'll never convince me. But let's just make it legal. Let's all go to Central Park with our guitars. Sing Kumbaya. Not go to work. And let those that go to work support us so we can smoke dope and get high. This is not restoration, my friend. This is a slow suicide in America. Slow suicide. That people are copping out. Not accepting the ways and the standards of God. I believe God can restore anyone. I said, I believe God can restore anyone from any situation. And that God can give us back what the enemy has stolen. And these last two weeks, that's what God is saying. And this is why we're celebrating the birth of Jesus. Because through the birth of Christ and through the salvation of the Lord and the shed blood on the cross, He restored our lives. He brought us out of sin. He brought us out of darkness and brought us into light. It's called restoration. And I believe that he wants to do this in the last day so badly. He's just looking for a few people that will believe the message. That restoration is possible in the earth. Especially for our families, our children, our grandchildren, and the generations to come if Jesus tarries. Father, I thank you this morning. I thank you for the message of Job. And I thank you, Lord, for the, the take on Job's wife. Ten more children. I believe she really loved Job. I never saw it that way before. And bore ten more children to the man of God. Had to be some of the happiest days of their life. 
had to be when he received all that encouragement from his family. Everyone coming, bringing something, bringing something to the man of God. Saying, Job, we're here for you. What a great feeling that is. When family surrounds you and you know they have your back. Praise God. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to preach. And thank you for the opportunity for this sermon to go out to other people, other states, other lands, that they might hear a word that would bring them to the place of restoration and hope. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you and thank you for listening.